Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Reverse trick-or-treating. Have you ever heard of it? It might be a thing that's like been around for a while, but I just heard about this phenomenon this week. And I got to tell you, I think it is the best trick. It is the best trick during this season of trick-or-treating. It's the best kind of practical joke there is because reverse trick-or-treating is something that everyone can enjoy. It's one of those jokes that everyone can laugh at and, and no one's left out. It goes like this. Uh, the way I saw it was a couple young college students were dressed up like old grannies, old grandmothers. They had gray wigs on and they were walking around with walkers and canes and they went out trick-or-treating. You might say to yourself, college kids, trick-or-treating, aren't they a little bit old for this kind of thing? Well, what they did was absolutely hilarious. They brought a door with them. And when they would go up to someone's house, the homeowner would step out with their bowl of candy and they would see a door staring at them in the face that said, please knock. So they would knock on the door and the little old garnies on the other side would open it up and say, oh, and gush all over their costumes that they were or weren't wearing and give them candy. It's reverse trick-or-treating. Absolutely loved it. I got to tell you about one of the clips um, that I saw that was the most heartwarming. The students, the old grannies, went up to a homeowner's house. They, they rang the doorbell, and the homeowner, a young lady, stepped out. And she knocked on the door, but instead of opening the door, the students in their best old grandmother voices said, who is it? Confused and yet amused, the young lady on the other side goes, uh, it's, it's Katie. They still didn't open the door. The voice said, Katie, is that really you? And they flung the door open and said, Katie, welcome home. And they gave Katie a big hug and gave her all their candy. And everyone laughed. Everyone laughed because it's an enjoyable trick. It's a good joke. It wasn't really Katie's grandmother, just maybe symbolized it or looked like it. And it wasn't really Katie's home, but it was fun. It was fun to yell, welcome home. We're calling today homecoming. And we often actually talk about this being a family and this place being a, a home. But is it a joke? Or does this place really feel like home? Does this church feel like home? No doubt some of you would say, yes, I feel incredibly comfortable here. I feel comfortable like I'm, like I'm around my very own family. Stepping into this place, it, it feels like a warm embrace. It feels like a hug every time I come here and see my faith family. But no doubt there's others that say, church, home, not the same. My home doesn't have purple walls. I don't have to set up my home every week. And no, I, I don't feel comfortable here. I feel more like a stranger. 
does this place feel like home? If it doesn't, maybe ask yourself, ask yourself why. Throughout this sermon series, we're going to talk about the blessings of having a church home, of, of having a faith family. But maybe it's fair that before we do that, we start with an honest assessment of what our understanding of home, our definition of what home is supposed to be like. Because there's certainly, there's people here, and and some of you grew up in homes that were warm and welcoming and loving. You came home from school every single afternoon, and there was a snack waiting for you on your table. At dinner time, mom and dad and all the kids gathered around, and you every single night enjoyed a warm, home-cooked meal. And the people in your family weren't people that annoyed you, but they were people that you had fun with, and you made lots and lots of good memories with. But that's not everyone. Some of us really did grow up in homes that weren't inspiring. They were homes that weren't marked with warmth and welcoming, but their homes may be marked with loneliness, perhaps even sadness. If that's you, I can kind of relate. When I was 17, my, my parents separated and then eventually divorced. At a very impressionable age, my understanding of what home life is and and what it can be and what it's maybe supposed to be, it took a turn. I still remember a conversation that my brothers and my sister and I had shortly after my parents got divorced. We talked about, yes, we, we wished our home could be what it used to be, but our conversation also and more so focused on what we hope our homes could be like, on what we want our homes to be like someday. Because what what we learned in our painful experience is this. There is this thing that breaks homes. There is this thing that takes what is supposed to be love and turns it into coldness. There's this place that takes what's supposed to be welcoming and turns it into oftentimes isolation. And there's this thing, and it's called sin. It's something perhaps you've experienced in your life and maybe in your home. Sin is a home wrecker. Sin breaks homes. Maybe you've experienced this in your actual home, but maybe you've experienced this in what you thought was a church home. I mean, let's call a spade a spade, right? Sin is the reason why some people come to church and they leave without making any meaningful connections with the other people that are there. Sin is also the reason why there are those with connections, meaningful connections with others here, but intentionally or unintentionally, they don't foster those with those who don't have connections. Sin is the reason why some people come here and, and they leave feeling unwanted, but all they want is to feel wanted. Sin is the reason why there are those who know they are wanted here, who are told they are wanted here, who are encouraged to be here, and yet they're not here. Sin is the reason why there's some people here who come here 
maybe for over a year, maybe month after month after month, and yet at best they feel like a distant cousin, and at worst they feel like a stranger. Sin is the reason why maybe for some of us, and maybe for many of us, the way church, maybe some of the time or maybe most of the time, doesn't feel like home. It gets worse. We are the loneliest people to ever walk this earth. I mean that. You and I, Americans, are the loneliest people to ever inhabit planet earth in the history of the earth. Very recently, there uh, has been a spike in this and an ongoing study that asked this question came out. It says, do you feel like you're no longer close to anybody? Kind of a leading question, but what would you guess? How many people, what percentage of people answered that question affirmatively in our own country and our own culture? It's two out of every five people. Two out of every five people say, I'm no longer close to anyone. Instead of enjoying togetherness, I only know loneliness. Ask yourself, is is that affecting your spiritual life? Is that affecting our church family? Whether it is or it isn't, the truth is that it's not supposed to be this way. God didn't make us to be rugged individuals. God didn't make us to live in isolation. He he made us to work together, to be together. You with me, me with you, all of us with one another. We read it in Ecclesiastes. The, The writer put it this way. Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and does not have anyone to help them up. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's talking about you. It's talking about me. It's talking about me with you and you with the people next to us and all of us together united in Christ Jesus, wrapped with him. He is the third strand in this cord, in this rope that is not easily broken. Someone said that the ability for people to gather together, to cooperate with one another, that might be our species, our race's superpower. In the same way that bees thrive when they get in a hive, people thrive when they're in a tribe. But leave it to modern Americans to disband tribes. And the results are are significant. People are calling it the lonely epidemic. It's, it's actually, according to some researchers, killing more people than what cigarettes can do to your lungs. Every year, the fact that people are living lonely lives. And it doesn't just have an effect on our physical health. It has an effect on our mental health. And it also has an effect on our spiritual health. And here's why. When people who, who live in the loneliest place that ever there was on earth come to a place that is supposed to be God's antidote to loneliness, supposed to be a place where where loneliness is not a thing. I'm talking about the church. And they experience, well, selfishness instead of forgiveness, greed, 
instead of grace, hurt instead of healing, what happens? The devil wins. The devil wins because sin compounds itself with this lonely epidemic and the loneliest people on earth get even lonelier and our church homes, they break. They fall apart. And we suffer. But it doesn't have to be this way. In fact, it's not this way. We read it in Hebrews chapter 2, that the God of the universe calls us brothers and sisters, and he makes us a family. We say that so often that we run the risk of maybe making that sound a little bit like a cliché. And so at the risk of missing the enormity of your reality, let's just back up one chapter to Hebrews chapter one and let me tell you about the one who makes you family. In fact, this is what God says about the one who makes us family. He says he is the heir of all things. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is the one who sustains all things by his powerful word. He is the one about whom it is said, your throne will last forever and ever and ever. He is the one who in the beginning laid the foundations of the world. This one is Christ Jesus. And this one is the one who went dumpster diving, who dove from his pristine and perfect family in heaven, there united with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he went dumpster diving to this world to this world which used to be perfect but fell and is now nothing more than a machine that is made to make us forget what's most important. And he came here and he dove through the muck, he dove through the mud for you to make you his sister, to make you his brother, to make us a family. And it wasn't without a cost. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. It says, We see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. I still remember this family dinner. <laughs> it ended, and uh, three of my four siblings were excused from dinner. Myself, my brother Luke, and my sister Hannah. And we went outside to play because we were really looking forward to a game of two-on-two basketball, but our brother Jake was not excused from the dinner table. Why? Because Jake was suffering mom's justice. Mom said that if you pour more milk, you have to drink it. But Jake refused. Jake refused to drink his milk, and so Jake sat there. Jake sat there stuck at the table and would not and could not get up. And after a while, the milk got warmer and warmer and less and less palatable. And so Jake not only wouldn't refuse, wouldn't drink the milk, he couldn't drink the milk. His refusals turned to tears because his brothers and his sisters came to him and said, Jake, come on, you can do this. We want you to come outside. We want you to play with us. But Jake couldn't do it. Jake tried to do it and it just wouldn't sit with him. And there I was making it worse by saying, Jake, come on, just drink it, just get up, you can do it. And he felt worse and worse about himself. I could have volunteered to drink it for him. That's what a good big brother would do. But I don't think many of us would really do that. Now compare that 
Compare that to our big brother, whose name is Jesus. He just didn't drink warm milk for us. He drank death. He drank death to the dregs. He drank every last drop, and he did it to give you glory, to give you honor, to bring you into this family. Now you can stand and you can play. You no longer suffer at the table of God's wrath and God's justice, but you get to go and be with him forever. This is the family that you are brought into. It says this, it's because the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's you, are of the same family. The question we're asking is this, does this church feel like home? The truth is, it may not most of the time. Maybe it even won't all of the time, but this church, it's not perfect all the time. It's not even perfect some of the time. But we don't gather here to be perfect people at a perfect church. What we gather here for is to be united around a perfect Savior who makes us holy. Therefore, you have a family where you do not need to know isolation any longer. You have a family where there is no more of this. There is only a God giving you his arms wide open on the cross, inviting you in to be his own. And it is because you have a prophet, priest, and king. You have a savior and a God who calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, and he is Christ Jesus. And this is where he steps in and he says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed to have you be in my family. And we need to talk about that. We need to talk about this. Because if you're tracking with me, if, if you're still listening to me, you might be saying, all right, I get it. Like, Jesus, he, he makes us his brother. He makes us family with him. But how does that change my relationship with the people here? How does that change my relationship with the people who could be here? Because I'm not really feeling any closer to them. Let me just give you one example of how the Christ child calling you his kid brother or his kid sister changes everything, changes absolutely everything. What we read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, is that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his family. I don't know about you, but have you ever been embarrassed of your parents? Kids, don't, don't answer that. But maybe adults, think more seriously. Do, do you have family members that you're embarrassed of? Maybe a dad who drinks too much. A mom who your siblings call a mess. A sister who sleeps around or a brother who's been in trouble with the law more times than you really care to remember. We know what it's like to be embarrassed of people of being embarrassed of people who do wrong things. But look at how Christ takes that embarrassment. Christ Jesus removes it. The one who had every right to be embarrassed of us, who had every right to disown us, says, no, 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 none of that. He says, I am not ashamed to call you my brother and my sister. In fact, I am going to remove that from my relationship with you. Jesus says, I am not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And he didn't just cover that. He suffered for that. 
We read this, Hebrews 2.10 says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. He suffered for us and wasn't ashamed of us. And in doing that, he makes us the same as him. He makes us family in him. Jesus says this, he says, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And he goes on to say, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. What he's talking about is singing your praises to the saints that are in heaven saying, look at, look at Mark. There is my brother. I am proud of him. Look at Mary Beth. There she is. That is my sister. Look at Chester, there's my brother, he is mine, that is my brother. And would you look at a little Elizabeth, what she did today, she came into my family, I could not be more proud of her. That is what you have. You have a savior who is singing your praises because he loves you and he's not ashamed of you. So why, why is it so hard for us to relate in that way? Why is it so hard for us to relate to one another with that attitude? To fully embrace the idea that we're a family. That we have a home, a faith home, with one another. You know it's because of sin. It's because of the sins that we've done to one another. The hurtful words, the unloving looks, the things that we've done to do damage to each other, but perhaps even greater than that, it's the sins that, well, we know or very few people know. It's the sins that you're embarrassed of. That if the people here knew about or maybe knew about in the way that your immediate family did, well, you might think they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want me to be here. You know what that's called? It's called shame. That's being ashamed of ourselves. That's not guilt. Guilt is doing a bad thing. Shame is believing that you are a bad person. And, and because of that, shame is a powerful force. It is the most mastering force. Dr. Brene Brown is a researcher about shame, and she says this. She says, when we experience shame, we feel disconnected and desperate for worthiness, full of shame or the fear of shame. We fear, excuse me, we are more likely then to engage in self-destructive behaviors and to attack or shame others. In fact, shame is related to violence, aggression, depression, addiction, eating disorders, and bullying. This is what happens when shame is less left to fester. This is what happens when we feel shame about ourselves. But look at what God does to shame. In Christ, he removes it. Jesus says, I am not ashamed to call you my brother and my sister. My friends, this is the message of the gospel. And this is the message that changes the way we not only relate to our God, but the way we relate to one another. There is no shame between us and God. Therefore, shame has no place between you and the people around you. 
You have a place. You have a place here where there is no shame no matter how long you have or have not been here. You have a place where there is no shame for what you did this past week because there is forgiveness here. There's a place for you where there is no shame if you let it all hang out and here you air out your dirty laundry because there's a place here that gives not condemnation but absolution and forgiveness. There is no shame here for who you are or what you've done because here there is a family who like their father is not ashamed, is not ashamed to call you his brothers and sisters. Being a member of this family means that you can come here and be known without judgment and you can come here and know others without judgment because you have a God who does not judge you according to what you have done but judges you according to the works of a perfect savior who makes you his family. The question we're considering is this. Does this place feel like home? Whether it does or not, the answer is that you have a God. You have a Jesus who has made you shameless and therefore you are not nameless and you will never be homeless. What I mean is this. God has removed shame from the equation. Therefore you have a name. It is my brother. It is my sister. I am your brother. He is your brother. She is your sister. That is the name and that is who you are. You are a brother and sister in Christ Jesus. You have a home. You have a place where you can come and get fed. You have a place where you can come and get filled. There's a pot love, potluck of God's love and you cannot run out of his grace that he is serving you. There is an open bar of his love and you cannot get overserved. He is giving it to you and you have a faith family. You have brothers and sisters here who are looking for, praying for, waiting for opportunities to give that all to you. To share that with you. So that you don't forget it. Oftentimes, people will ask this question. They ask, can you be a Christian and not go to church? Can you still be a member of God's family and not often or meaningfully connect with the other members of God's family? Let me answer that question real quick. There's over 70 passages in the New Testament that talk about us loving one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, helping one another, and meeting together with one another. You can't not do those things by yourself. You need one another to fulfill those commandments. So no, nope. You can't be a Christian and, and, and not go to church. You can't be a member of God's family and simply not be with God's family. But let's pretend for a second you could. Let's pretend hypothetically that you could do that. The question of whether or not you can be a Christian and not go to church really isn't the right question to ask. The question is, why would you want to? Why would you want to do that? There is a place for you, a place for you to know rest in Christ through the work of Christ, a place for you to come and find wisdom in Christ through the word of Jesus Christ, a place for you to come and know purpose in life through the love and the life of Jesus Christ. There's a place for you to come and know belonging through the family of Jesus Christ. 
there is a place for you like that. And there's no place like home. Last night at our fall filmly fest, we saw the Wizard of Oz where Dorothy delivers that very famous line. There's no place like home. But did you catch what she said just before that? She said this, reflecting on what she learned in the land of Oz. She said, if I ever go looking for my heart's desire again, I won't look any further than my own backyard. Because if it isn't there, then I never really lost it to begin with. What does she mean by this? Well, maybe the idea that this church and these people are your home and family is laughable. Or maybe it's just not something you're used to or comfortable yet. But take a lesson from the land of Oz if if you have to. Your home is not somewhere else. It's not out there. St. Augustine said, our hearts will always be restless until they rest in God. And what God has given you is a home, a home here, a home that you are welcomed home to. So stop searching. Stop, Stop looking over the rainbow or in your own version of the land of Oz. What you need, what God gives you is here. So welcome home. Amen.